Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I'm a careers advisor and business owner. In this podcast, we're going to talk about what your career means to you and what uniquely defines your career and your version of success and what it means for you to be career happy at work and in your business. This podcast is for professional women who are looking to gain more within their career, to find a new job, find a new career, or potentially start a portfolio career or business. It's also for parents of teenagers who want to find out more about careers advice and information and feel like they want to help their teenagers to go off and pursue careers that they actually really, really want. And lastly, it's for business owners and people who want to start a business and feel inspired by their career and business collectively. So I hope that you enjoy this new season of the podcast and thanks for listening. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode, episode 90 of the Career Happiness Podcast. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Caroline Walker. Um, Dr. Caroline Walker is the founder of The Joyful Doctor and she is a coach. Um, I connected with her quite a while ago and I am a Joyful Doctor coach. I've worked with um, some of the doctors who need help within this organisation. But also more than that, I really wanted Caroline to come on to talk about um, how she became a doctor, why it was her childhood dream, the reality of working as a doctor, and to talk a little bit about what it's like for her as someone who is a psychiatrist and a coach. So, you know, it's a bit of a blended career there. We spoke about lots of different things there. We spoke about well-being, not just within a healthcare professional kind of basis, but also in general. We also spoke about stereotypes when it comes to elite careers like medicine and We also looked at what is it that you should be considering if you want to have a career in medicine. So for any parents who listen to this podcast, this could be a really really helpful one for your teenage son or daughter to listen to, to get a little more context of how medicine can be a really great career, but also it could be a career where you could have opportunities to have more portfolio career if you wanted. Um, And also... Um, We spoke a little bit about um, the aftermath of COVID-19 and everything that's that's happened in the last year with that and what we could be doing to support anyone who works within the NHS or the healthcare, um, you know, in a healthcare professional uh, in terms of support and understanding. So the other thing that I'm going to say before I pass you along to the episode that we actually recorded around Mental Health Awareness Week, which... um, (laughs) quite timely really um is that I just wanted to say that Caroline also what's really really amazing about her and we didn't really cover this in the episode but Caroline also is somebody who does have bipolar and she's very very open about her bipolar diagnosis she talks about that a lot she talks about how she has recovered from addiction as well and um if you want to find out more about her everything will be in the show notes but I also want to say that I really really enjoyed this conversation with Caroline she's someone that really really inspires me and she has her own podcast it's called the joyful doctor podcast and I really really think that if you are within 
this kind of profession or you're in the healthcare profession or work within the NHS, you are going to find this one really interesting. Caroline herself has made it her mission to help doctors, but also she's one of the most kindest, compassionate people I've ever met. And I feel like it's really important that not only do we have more kindness in the world, but we don't stereotype so many careers too much. And we speak a little bit about that in this episode. So without further ado, I'm going to pass you along to her. And one more thing I want to just quickly mention before I pass you along to her is that I do have one more spot available for a career power session. I'll put that within the show notes so that you can go and check that out as well. But yeah, I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks so much. So hey, everybody, I have Caroline with me here today. Hi, Caroline. How are you? Hi, Soma. So lovely to be here with you. Um... Yeah, today is a bit of an up and down day, if I'm honest. Um, depends which moment you catch me in, how I might answer that question. Uh, but I'm okay overall, I would say, yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, joining us. And also, um, before we kind of get into the interview today, I just want to say that I really, really appreciate all the kind of um, kindness and support and, you know, um, inspiration you give me. Um, oh, that's so kind. I'm, you're going to make me cry. That's so lovely. It's my pleasure. It really is. I'm really so, um, yeah, wonderful oh, to see everything. No, it's just wonderful to see everything you've been doing as well. And um, just really proud of you. Great to hear that the podcast is getting the recognition that it deserves. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. And just to kind of, uh, when I obviously do the pre intro, people will know um, how we know each other. But um, Caroline and me connected and I became one of her joyful doctor coaches and we'll be talking a little bit more about that kind of throughout the course of the interview but that's kind of how we know each other um, but obviously I know like a lot about what you do I love what you do and I feel that work that you're doing Caroline is more important than ever um, but before we get into that I'd really really like to go back to young Caroline Caroline was as little so the first question I've got for you because you're the first medic that we've got on the podcast and I am gonna get a few more people who are healthcare professionals to come on the podcast mm -hmm. I want to find out from you when you were six years old and you and you wanted to be a doctor what was it about this profession that interests you and why did you think it, it was for you yeah oh, yeah great question I was um I was five and three quarters my five and three quarter year old self would want you know want you to know that I think <laughs> when I said to my mom I wanted to be a doctor and um she wrote it down on a piece of paper she wrote down this little quote said I want to be a doctor uh but I'm a woman so I have to be a nurse um and luckily my mom was a sort of shoulder padded woman of the 80s and she soon put me right you know that I could do anything I could wanted to and anything I put my mind to and so from that point on yeah I was on the you know conveyor belt to being a doctor and I I think what attracted me to it um was a mixture of things I think um I had a friend whose dad was a doctor and you know I even at that young age I sort of picked up that this was a really good thing for somebody to do with their life you know it had meaning it had um some sort of reward some sort of social kudos you know that people kind of understood that being a, a healthcare profession was a, was a positive way to contribute to the world um and I also um my mum was a big fan of all the medical dramas on tv so I had a lot of that kind of messaging as well you know that doctors look like kind of shiny happy people who are impossibly handsome and 
um, and always kind of, you know, fell in love with other impossibly good looking people and stuff like that. So I think I'd had a lot of that sort of conditioning really early on um, to think that uh, being a doctor was a, was a good thing and would lead me into a, a marriage to person at the end of the day as well. <laughs> I don't think it was anything a higher purpose than that at that stage you know obviously as I got older I became more interested in um, the kind of the science behind it all it was intellectually stimulating for me but it was also a chance to to sit with people so I thought to sit with people and help them through their darkest times to help people who were struggling and in pain to feel better um, and that really really appealed to me. I, re I really really love that Caroline and I think the thing is you know the next thing I'm going to ask you is the reality of it as you know mm -hmm. um but the thing is is that I can already see that in you that caring nature um that you have anyway um so it was interesting to to hear a little bit more about that because I don't know that much about that part of you so thank you for sharing but yeah. also it was there from an early age. I remember as a, a kid at primary school, I set up a little agony aunt service for the other <laughs> children in my class. Like I was this budding therapist, right? Even back then, um, I've gone on to study in psychiatry and mental health, as you know, but even then I was kind of just wanting to help, I suppose, soothe people's um, trouble and their emotional um, states. And and I think, you know, I'm very honest now up front that this was probably a part of my own way of looking after my own emotional well-being as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really, really interesting. And I want to kind of get into, um, you know, when you became a doctor, what was the reality of becoming one? And kind of how did you end up specialising in, in psychiatry specifically? Mm, so I remember I mean I was on the conveyor belt as I say from the age of six to 24 I went straight through school into A-levels and then med school and and it wasn't really until I popped out of medical school and onto the wards at the age of 24 that I really got a true sense of what being a doctor was like or certainly what being a junior doctor was like and it was it was pretty awful it was very very frightening very overwhelming um exhausting you know I was doing 100 hour weeks still then even though the European working time directive had come in mm -hmm. at that point there was still some crazy hours going on and and it was just there was just pain and death and awfulness everywhere you looked and I felt completely overwhelmed and I felt like I was the only person who didn't know what I was doing I kind of looked at all the other junior doctors and thought oh they look so together they look like they know what they're doing and and I had this massive raging imposter syndrome and and I was scared. I was scared that I was killing people. Um, and I didn't know. I remember writing my first prescription for paracetamol. And, you know, this is something, a drug that you can just buy over the counter, right? And I'd taken my whole life and I had headaches. Um, but even just writing that first prescription felt so scary because suddenly there's this responsibility and this idea that your actions might cause somebody harm. And, you know, mm -hmm. and that it was really, really tough. So I struggled very, very quickly. Um, and I think. Um, my first what to psychiatry was probably the realization that what I really wanted from being a doctor was to be able to sit with people for a bit longer and to kind of to get quite nosy actually about their what's going on for them like what's I wanted to I wanted them to have the space to be a whole human being like I didn't just want to treat somebody's leg or their heart or their lungs or I wanted to see them as a whole person and sit with them and be with them and hold a safe space for them to talk about how they were feeling and what they were thinking and um, and that really really appealed to me and psychiatry allowed me to do that um, 
as a part of being a doctor it was one of the specialties that kind of yeah allows you to to see the whole person I think and spend more time with them which was very very precious to me. Mm-hmm. Do you think then Caroline before we kind of talk a little bit more about the joyful doctor I want to just ask you an intuitive questions come up for me but the skills that you learnt within um, psychiatry do you think that really kind of helped you to want to become a coach then? I think coaching for me was about um it, it was kind of like the positive side of being a doctor it's like you get to sit with people ask them questions be curious listen help them to grow and develop and learn but it's it's all kind of in a really nice positive way it's not so focused on the negative stuff like the symptoms and the problems and the you know it's really um just a lovely uh, way to be with somebody and help them to get through something or to progress in their life in a really positive way so for me the two are really closely interlinked because I use coaching in my like psychiatry and my medical practice and in my therapy and I use I kind of interchange all my different skills you know I work quite integratively um so I think becoming a coach was kind of a natural progression for me it was like it was always there within me and it was just when I found out about what coaching was and that you could do this thing called coaching that it kind of all clicked into place and it was like ah yes that's a really that's a bit of the work that I do that I absolutely love um yeah I don't know if that's answered your question no 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 no, no. it's definitely answered it definitely (laughs) very interesting thank you for sharing that um Caroline um in terms of that, you know you starting the joyful doctor mm. um, you started it to kind of help doctors feel less alone and help deal with their careers mm. was there something like specifically that happened an event or something that led you to doing this and if so why yeah I don't think it was a specific thing I think there was a a lot of little experiences along the way um that got me interested in doctors well-being so I remember the first doctors and uh uh, healthcare professionals that reach out to me when I was struggling as a junior doctor that really helped me with my well-being and my mental health and and helped me feel less alone and less uh, they helped me to feel like I belonged you know I was very when I was back then I just felt very ashamed very scared and like I couldn't be a doctor and and there were a few key people along the way that really helped me to see that you know there was nothing wrong with me that it was okay not to be okay it was okay to struggle through tough times and and to still be a doctor and so I gradually over time had these experiences that led me to kind of being interested in why why as doctors and healthcare professionals we struggle in particular why do we have higher rates of mental health problems why do we get divorced more often why you know why do we struggle and and that just over time slowly tap 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 kept sort of nudging me and and I started to um when I trained in psychiatry I started to sort of specialize in doctors well-being so every opportunity I had I would do, you know, if I had to do a project, I'd do the project around doctors' well-being. If I had to give a talk, I'd give a talk around that. I would do everything I could and as many patients as I could. If there ever came a doctor patient along, I would snap them up um, and take them under my wing and, and help them. And and that just, and so it grew, I suppose, organically. And, and then in 2017, a few years ago now, um, I think I just that tap, tap, tap from the universe going, you know, it was got louder and louder. And I just thought, yeah, this is the right time. You know, this was pre-covid but it was already the tide was starting to turn people were talking about Dr. Swell being more and I I felt very strongly that we don't have enough um prominent voices representing 
um, doctors with mental health problems out there in the world, you know, it's still very hard to find examples of doctors with mental health problems who are happy to, to talk about them openly. And so I really wanted to get out there and, and be a role model, I suppose, um, to say, look, it is okay. You don't have to be public about your problems, but it's okay. There are some others out there that are happy to, so you know you're not alone. You're not the only one and it is possible to struggle um, and still be a healthcare professional. Um, so yeah, so I just set up, um, stepped off my training ladder, the ladder I'd been on since the age of six, right <laughs> through to 24, right through to 30 something. Um, and I was one year off becoming a consultant psychiatrist and I knew that really wasn't the path for me. I wasn't, didn't bring me enough joy, but the thought of full-time helping doctors with their wellbeing just lit me up completely. I just made me want to jump out of bed in the morning and, and <laughs> you know, go to work. So yeah, so I started The Joyful Doctor and it's um, growing from there. You know, one thing's just occurred to me while listening to you, Caroline, really interesting, just 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 a thought that I had whilst listening to you. So, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I was surrounded by um, lots of doctors and, and lawyers growing mm. up, right? And for me, I remember there was this kind of aura of, oh, when you become a doctor, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like gold. It's such a precious yeah. Yeah. career I don't know if you've heard that heard that before absolutely particularly if you don't mind me saying from the Indian subcontinent I think mm -hmm. it's incredibly common for doctors from that background to have that narrative mm -hmm. in their mm -hmm. yeah within their culture within their families mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah. It's, the same, it's the same across the world actually I think doctors are revered they're put on pedestals they're you know it's as if it's a currency it's a social currency isn't it to say you're a doctor Mm-hmm. And but but one of the things I found really interesting when I when I met you, and the more I've been talking to doctors myself, um, mm -hmm. you know, through the Joyful Doctor, I've I've realized that when I was growing up, there was a lot of um really false claims because mm. listen, yeah, what I mean by that is when I was growing up, I believed that it was quite not a glamorous job, that's the mm -hmm. wrong word, but a job that just because it pays well there isn't there isn't heartache in it there isn't pain in it mm -hmm. from listening to you and from knowing I had a family friend who trained as a doctor and I remember she had a horrible shift on on A&E and I think someone you know passed away on the table but that's the reality of being a doctor right and I think yeah. it I, I feel that doctors also should be informing young people about the realities it's not just about yeah right I know I agree and I, I think like I said at six or seven years of age I all I saw was the glamour you know I saw the the perfect white coats of, on the tv and and the idealized versions of doctors that I would go and see you know when my family was sick and and it, it isn't like that at all you know the day-to-day -day, um exist uh, reality of it is can be very different now it, it is an extraordinary privileged job to do it is a wonderful job it is very rewarding there is lots and lots of positives about it it's not all bad uh, mm. but it is it does bring extraordinary emotional burden you know mm. you're, you're de literally dealing with people's lives you're dealing with pain uh, misery often a lot of uncertainty I think that there's a big myth around how doctors will always know the answer or they'll always be able to make it better and they, we really can't you know a large proportion of the time we don't know what's going on we don't know how to sort it out and that's really really tough um, to sit with somebody 
in some of their darkest, hardest times in life and not knowing. We've seen that obviously with the pandemic, you know, on a massive mm-hmm. scale that medicine can only, can sometimes it can be extraordinary and amazing, but it sometimes it can only go so far. And some of it, a lot of it is not in our control. And that's a very, very difficult place to be for a, a young adult who who has been sold this myth that that being when you suddenly put on that white coat you'll have all the knowledge and you'll be able to solve all the problems and actually you can't it's quite a a high uh, perch to fall off um, at a young age yeah and that's why I think the work that that you are doing is really really powerful because you're helping build that awareness around the fact that you know um, burnout and doctors doing these terrible long shifts and things like that it's not it's not healthy it's not the way forward you know no I've been thinking a lot actually just lately about how we treat ourselves very differently as healthcare professionals that we sort of hold ourselves to a different standard we think we shouldn't get ill we think we you know shouldn't take days off um we we literally treat ourselves differently to to other people what we would expect from others um I think it's so important part of my recovery certainly as a doctor to being a healthier doctor is um has been about learning how to be have more self-compassion and how to not hold myself to unrealistic expectations very interesting thank you for sharing that um I just thought it's a very interesting part of the conversation because you know a lot has happened this year and we'll get into that a little bit more but I thought it would be leading on to the next question because when I was a careers advisor in schools, I would have parents and young people come in and you know say they wanted to do medicine. And I remember a young girl who came in who didn't want to do medicine. She wanted to do um, creative writing, I think. But yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting one. But I won't I won't go into that too much. What I will say is I had to challenge her a little bit to to find out where that was coming from it was coming from her mm. parents it was coming from her wider family mm. um, and she was very very unhappy and mm. it was it was quite a t- difficult session but in general I kept on seeing this pattern of oh medicine is popular medicine is this sort after career and it is it's a credible career it comes with as he said a lot of really great stuff but you know what what advice Caroline would you give to because I've worked with a lot of parents, to any young person considering a career in medicine? And what do you feel they need to have a proper awareness around before they even apply? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's a big question. Great question. Um, It's interesting you should mention a girl who wanted to be to work in creative writing, because I was always a writer. Um, And my English teacher was really surprised when I said I wanted to be a doctor. And and actually now I'm writing my first book, um, finally. And um, I feel as if I've somehow come full circle back to that that child. And I I could really resonate as you were sharing that story. Um, I I would say to anybody thinking about any career move at any stage of their life, whether that's in childhood or adulthood, to really ask yourself what brings you joy um, and to trust that um you know I'm a big believer that if you do work you love that you don't really work you know because it just doesn't feel like work um and it's so important that we give ourselves permission to do the work we feel we are here to do and that we want to do Mm -hmm. um I've seen a lot of people waste many many years of their lives following other people's dreams and other people's guidance Mm -hmm. um and so the strongest bit of advice I could do is to say, follow your heart, 
follow what you know is what you truly want to do in life this is a we don't next um, whatever your belief system is around that we we know that this is a precious time we have here on this earth and choose wisely what you do with it you know choose something in line with your heart your dreams your desires um uh because if you take that step towards yourself you're, you're probably going to be okay you're probably going to end up in a job that you enjoy and will lead you to the next step in your your adventure um i'd also extend that message out to anybody supporting people making career choices because it's very easy to give advice it's very easy to say what you think you would do um it's much harder to sit with somebody and allow them the space and the permission to come up with their own ideas and to support those ideas and i've seen many many doctors who lived as i say decades sometimes doing a job and in a in a line of work that really wasn't for them because they've been trying to please others so um if you can you know do listen to your own heart and follow that and and get support in doing that find people who will listen and support you like a coach you know who won't be won't have their own agenda um won't have their own answer to what the next right step is they'll just help you to find your next you know step to take yeah, no, I think that's really, really important. And it's the awareness around, it's interesting what you said there, because I did, and it's, it's come up in two episodes already, this people-pleasing topic and mm. did around it, Caroline. I'm sure you see that a lot with the doctors that you're coaching. Right? I do, and I do it a lot. I'm a massive people-pleaser. It's one of my go-to behaviours, you know, to try and avoid conflict and being vulnerable and to help, you know, just get through life you know it's um we talk about the fight flight response quite a lot don't we but what we forget is fawning you know so we we know when we get scared about something we'll either go into freeze where we just stop and don't do anything we procrastinate put things off or we fight we get angry and fight back or find fault with others um or we fly we flight we we run away we escape Mm. and do something else and there's a fourth um element that we often forget which is fawning which is that people pleasing you know we try and please others in order to feel safer and better about the situation we're in mm. um and yeah it's people pleasing is a massive problem i see a lot in medicine it's a very uh, patriarchal system still there's very much a lot of i can only do a certain thing if i if my senior colleague says i can um or if i see another person doing it um and I think we need to start to learn how to please ourselves, actually, you know, ask what we need and what we want and allow, give ourselves permission to follow that a bit more. Yeah, no, that's very, very powerful. And I think parents and, you know, I only work with certain parents at certain times of the year. I think they need to take that on board and and really understand what their child wants as well. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, Moving on to, because I know that you have been like, Caroline, I have to say, you know, you've been kind of like a, a champion in talking about um, COVID-19 to support doctors at this time. And I really kind of wanted to ask you, um, what changes have you seen in how doctors and healthcare professionals have been coping since the pandemic? And what can we do to make sure that we, you know, like individually as people who are maybe not within the healthcare professional, what can what can we do to help support, you know, doctors, the NHS, and people who are providing care for others at this time? Oh, another great question. Um, so thank you, first of all. It has been it has been a real privilege, actually. I felt 
um, it's been a really tough year uh, for me personally, as, as it has for many. Um, but it's been an absolute privilege to be in a position to have been able to help a little bit. Um, uh, I think, what have I seen? I've seen actually very similar things to what I saw before the pandemic. I've seen a lot of doctors burnt out, exhausted, on the edge of coping, um, seen a lot of depression, anxiety. And we've seen an awful lot of guilt actually as well. Um, so doctors feeling, or healthcare professionals feeling guilty for taking time off, for leaving work on time, for being at work, not being at work, putting their family at risk, putting their colleagues at risk, you name it, they've been feeling guilty about it. We've been feeling guilty. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of grief, a lot of loss, obviously not just the loss of life from colleagues and patients, but also the life we were living, you know, before mm. the pandemic came along. We've mm. seen a lot of trauma, um, people witnessing directly really, really awful um, things, but also hearing the stories of or being witness to other people being traumatized um so yeah a lot of what we saw before the pandemic a lot of things that you see a lot of in healthcare anyway but we've just seen it on a bigger scale and I think more people talking about it because it's been in in the public domain so much um so what I would say to the second question like how can you help the healthcare professional at the moment I think that's going to vary slightly depending on what it is they're experiencing um, I think if I think the first thing is helping them to see that it's okay to not be okay, it's okay to get help. Those are my two main messages. Um, I think beyond that, depending on what they're struggling with, like use, I would say, use your common sense as a human being. Let yourself be compassionate. So if somebody seems anxious, maybe a little bit of reassurance. Um, if they seem, if they're grieving, maybe just allowing them to be angry or sad or whatever emotion is that's coming up for them. Mm. Let them vent that in a safe way. Um, if they are traumatized, maybe again, initially we're in, with anybody faces a traumatic situation, they need a few weeks to kind of let things settle down and the brain usually kind of um, cope and kind of resolves that sense of being traumatized over a few weeks. But if they're still really struggling with something then maybe helping them to get some professional help with that um what else can i say i think again just going back to just being human just being with them being kind and always remember like the, the i think the most powerful thing we can do for another human being who's struggling is to share that we struggle too mm. because it it shows them they're not alone it's a very de-shaming thing to do when somebody's yeah struggling as a healthcare professional it's like oh my god I'm the only one no one else is like struggling if you can share with them like the bad day you've just had or the struggle you had recently that you know you got managed to get through or it's really really powerful um for them to know that they're not alone that makes yeah. Okay. yeah I think that's really really um great advice for the listeners and the audience because I think it's interesting I was talking to a nurse yesterday because I wanted, to, I needed to phone up some medical stuff I'm going through, and mm. she was super, super helpful, um, Caroline. Sometimes I feel like my surgery is a bit like potluck. Sometimes you'll get people who just want to get you off the line as soon as possible, yeah. and sometimes yeah. you'll come across like a diamond person who just, yeah. just ask you the right question and you feel comfortable with them. And I think yeah. that's another thing that I've been hearing from a lot of my friends that they're hesitant to even go to the doctor or reach out and, that. and I know that may be probably the aftermath of the pandemic but it's important that we 
not only support the NHS, but we also understand that they still want to do their job properly, right? 100%, absolutely. We want you to come forward for help if you need the support. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's always been the case, but it's particularly the case at the moment, as you say, because people aren't sure, are they? They're kind of holding back a little bit. And, and I think and I doctors and healthcare professionals um, struggle with that, particularly because they there's that added stigma of like, well, I don't want to, these precious resources that I know are being stretched and, you know, and all that sort of thing. But it's really important that we do allow ourselves to get help when we need it, right? That's what being a human being is all about. We're not meant to live in isolation without support. And I believe me, I've tried it and it doesn't work, right? It's miserable um, and it just gets worse. So uh, asking for help isn't always easy. In fact, sometimes it's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, Um, but honestly, it's so worth it. If the first person you ask for help doesn't give it to you or or isn't that kind of help you need, then keep looking, keep asking until Mm. you get the help you need. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really, really important uh, message there because that's important for everyone who's listening right now. I know that when we first connected, Callum, we we spoke about mental health, my mental health journey, and we spoke a little bit about yours as well. And I know that's something that we really connected on. Um, And as we record this episode, it's Mental Health Awareness Week and Month. so I'd really be interested to, to find out from you as not just a doctor, but, you know, you are a psychiatrist. What advice or tips would you give to anyone who is stressed, burnt out or feels their mental health isn't something they are prioritising right now? Mm, there's a really uh, interesting end to that question, something they're not prioritising. Because I do think it starts with that, doesn't it? It's like even just noticing that we're struggling is sometimes hard because if you're anything like me, you'll have all these kind of go-to behaviors that help you to cope when things get tough. So you might um, eat that extra chocolate bar or reach for that extra glass of wine at the end of the night, or um, maybe you shout at your partner, or, you know, or something that you find, you, you end up doing these things to kind of cope with how you're feeling without even realizing that you're not feeling great. Mm-hmm. So I think even just noticing it, becoming more aware of it is the first step. And then it's all about that permission, permission to say to somebody to share that you're struggling a bit and to get help. Um, it really is the whole ball game because from that point forward, the solution to what's going to make you feel better is, you know, there's a million different things that could help, right? A million different things. With mental health, it's not just a one trick pony. It's not just... Uh, tablets or therapy or going out with friends more or having more fun or moving more or better diet or whatever there's a million different things that could work for you and I think but the first common step is knowing noticing that you're struggling and then try wanting to do something to help yourself to feel better so that's always I think to start with sharing and and getting some help Mm -hmm. and and, and do you think, I mean, just to kind of ask you a question before, you know, people can connect with you and things like that. Do you think that things like Mental Health Awareness Week and Month help people who may not necessarily talk about mental health that much? Or do you think it's a bit of a fad? I'm, I'm interested to... <laughs> um, I think both. Hmm. I think um, anything that raises the level of conversation and awareness is, is a good thing. I think it can be dangerous in that it can generate a lot of like 
intense um, activity and discussion at one point in the year that then kind of dies off and obviously our mental health is with us every single day of every year right it's not um not just like a one day issue um but I I think I come down generally on the idea that you know what it's it, it, much better that we're having it than we're not because if you rewind like 50 years 100 years this stuff didn't get talked about at all you know it was just something we all carried around with us and, and had to get on with in, in our various different ways and and I think generally we're going in the right direction by talking about it more openly and it encourages you know events discussions etc um but it isn't just you know like a dog isn't just for Christmas I would say thinking about your mental health isn't just for mental health awareness week it's for every week I really, really love that, Caroline. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on here and being such a great guest. But where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? So they can find me and the rest of the team, Joy, at joyfuldoctor.com. And that's our website. Uh, you can read all about what we're up to. And there's loads and loads of free resources in the useful resources section there for you. Um, and if you want to, you can follow us across most of social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, usually as the Joyful Doctor or Joyful Doctor. If you Google us, you'll find us. Um, we're everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, please get in touch. You can email us as well at teamjoy at joyfuldoctor.com if we can help you. If you're a healthcare professional or you're supporting healthcare professionals, uh, then we would love to help you to help yourself or them. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caroline. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Soma. See you soon. Bye. Bye. I really appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast, share it, have subscribed already and left me a review. But I would really, really appreciate if you haven't left a review and you're a loyal listener, that you please take the time if you have an Apple Podcasts account to leave me a review. If you're not on Apple, as I know many of you aren't, please share it. Also, if there was a topic or if there was something that you think could really make a difference to someone, tell people about it. The more visibility this podcast has, the more difference it's going to make to people's lives and people's careers. Thanks so much.